We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What's going on, Packer fans? Happy Friday! Welcome into an all-new episode of the Pack a Day Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. You can follow the podcast at Pack a Day Podcast. Make sure to subscribe if you have not already. Thursday night football did not exactly go according to plan. Packers basically get their teeth punched in 34 to 20. And if we're being totally honest, the score was not really indicative of the type of game that that was. The Lions brought it to Green Bay early and often with a level of physicality that Green Bay was not really able to match. And Green Bay got outclassed at Lambeau Field at home in prime time. And Green Bay and that young team and that young roster was simply not up to the task. Give Green Bay a slight amount of credit for fighting back and getting it within 10 in the second half and those sort of things. You don't ever want to see the team give up, which they didn't for the second consecutive week. But there was a level of, I don't know, just complete ineptitude is what I would say through a huge chunk of this game where you don't really get moral victories when it looks like that for a huge chunk of the game the way that it did. You do in some capacity if it's like New Orleans where you look like garbage for three quarters, but you come back and win the game, you get more forgiveness in those sort of situations. When you look like garbage for three quarters, 
make a little run and then kind of look like garbage again, you don't get that same level of forgiveness, especially when it happened for a second time in a row, a second game in a row where there was that huge level of ineptitude. So I think it's certainly fair to be frustrated with a lot of things that went on in this game. Like I said, you can give them some credit for sticking with it, fighting through it, but I don't know. That, that That's the bare minimum of expectations at that point. And there's so many different things that we can go over here. I think it, let's, let's start with two different dynamics of this. I think on the one side, it is fair to point out that if we are going back to what our expectations were going into this season, this is what we expected. We expected this team that was going to be quite the roller coaster, that you didn't know what you were going to get on a play-by-play, quarter-by-quarter, week-by-week basis. There was going to be some high highs. There were going to be some low lows. And there was going to be some inconsistency. In some real capacity, this is what we expected. I think if you would have told everyone after four games that the Packers were 2-2 two and two with a plus four-point differential with some really impressive moments and a couple of wins and some really awful moments and a couple of losses, I think you probably would have said, yeah, that, that sounds about exactly what I expect from this team. So I do think it is important to remember the expectations that you had going into the season and basically not overreacting when you get exactly what you expected. This is almost to a T what we expected through four games on this season. And what you always wanted to see is that this team would get better as the year would go along, that they would make progress, that they're playing their best football at the end of the year. And this was also always going to be an evaluation year and who was going to help bring this team into the next era and who was not up to the task. And I think we're certainly gaining more and more information on exactly that. But this is sort of what we expected. So I think on one hand, it's important not to overreact and not to get too insanely frustrated when, like I said, this is almost to a T. If you would have charted out exactly what your expectations were through four games, two and two plus four point differential, all of it is almost exactly to a T, this exact scenario, this exact situation. It's what we expected. On the other side of things, and I think it's totally fair to feel this way, if you are frustrated that the same mistakes that has plagued this team over the past couple seasons, specifically last year, are plaguing this team in 2023, I think it's totally understandable and and frustrating to see those sort of things rear their ugly heads again, specifically with the, you know, I would say lack of physicality at times, specifically with the complete inability to stop the run, specifically with the complete inability to run the ball, specifically with the inability to get Aaron Jones the ball when he is in early in games. Aaron Jones touched the ball for the first time when they were down 24 to three in this game. They were down 24 to three and Aaron, now technically, technically he touched the ball on one of the very first plays where Love scrambled around and kind of threw it at him quickly on a ad lib play and he dropped the pass. It would have gone for like a yard, but that was not a schemed play for Jones. It was not a completed play to Jones. And it was just a, you know, chicken with your head cut off type of play. So not counting that one. Aaron Jones had the first touch 24 to three. They were losing at that point. So yeah, if you're frustrated with the same mistakes over and over and seeing some of the same things schematically on defense, seeing some of the same things that don't work on offense, and just not being able to be up to par against teams that are more physical, by all means, 
be frustrated. There is plenty to be frustrated with, with that type of performance over and over and over again. So I totally get that. So again, on one hand, I'll just say one more time, sort of what we've expected up to this point, what we would have predicted going into the season, but you wanted to see growth and improvement. Let's just take, for example, the run defense. You were hoping slash expecting that there were going to be some changes to the way that this team would play run defense, maybe a more penetrating style of defense, which could give up some more explosive plays from time to time, but a more disruptive defense. We haven't seen that, at least not with any level of consistency. We haven't seen them basically dare teams at times to pass over them, which Matt LaFleur sort of mentioned in his post-game press conference in this one. Listen, at some point, if you're like need to stop the run, you need to just put everyone up in the box and make sure that you're stopping the run. And Green Bay could not do that. This is their second 200 yards allowed performance in three weeks on the ground. So totally understandable to be ticked off and frustrated when those things continue to happen. And what you want to see from this team is to be, and Mike Wall talks about it all the time. I'm excited to talk with him on Friday and that episode will go up, I think sometime on Friday. You want to see this be more of a process-driven team. And there was a lot of really bad process in this game from the inability to run the football, from just sort of some of the things that you were asking your team to do on offense to we'll, we'll get to some of the scheme stuff on defense, the kick returns from eight yards in your own end zone. There's just some really bad process. And it's okay when you see those initial mistakes happen in the first few games of this season, when it's happening in game four and you, after you've already seen those same mistakes, that becomes a little bit more concerning. So let's start in a, we could go in a variety of different directions. I'll be honest. I'm recording this at 2.40 in the morning and just like trying to go through and put together all of the thoughts that I want to get to in a real cognizant order. Like, of like it, I don't even know, because there's so many different things to talk about, but I want to start with the difference in running games because this, if this continues to happen in any real way, things are going to get worse before they get better. The difference in running games in this game was striking in a huge way. The Lions, 43 carries, 211 yards on the ground. That's just rushing. 43 carries, 211 yards. The Packers, 12 carries for 27 yards. Just sit on that for a second. 12 carries for 27 yards on the ground. The Packers running backs on the year through four games now have 217 yards on the ground. 217 rushing yards for the running backs through four games. The Lions, now part of this was a 40 yard end around and there's some other things baked in there as well, but the Lions rushing in this game had 211 yards. The Packers running backs through four games 217 yards. They are not right now a team that can run the football with any measure of success, and they cannot stop the run with any measure of success. That is a recipe for disaster for any team, but specifically a young team like Green Bay with a first-time starting quarterback. We can, we'll talk about Jordan Love, and this was clearly not one of his best performances, you can only ask this guy at this point of his career to do so much. You have to be able to run the football. And I think the really disappointing thing here is you knew going in, this is not, you don't have just an MVP quarterback that can, you know, rescue you at any given moment. And Jordan's had some really solid moments through four weeks, but you have to be able to run the football to help him out a little bit. 
12 carries, 27 yards, ain't it. And we'll talk about this in just a moment as well. I I do understand that just handing off for the sake of handing off and running into a Lions defense that's really good against the run, when your running game is beyond abysmal, I understand that just keep calling runs for the sake of calling runs doesn't make much sense. But you just have to figure out something different then. And by the way, and we've talked about this before when these sort of situations have happened, there are more ways than just handing off the ball to Aaron Jones to get him the ball. If you need to run him on the jet sweep, if you need to make sure that he's getting something in the screen game, we saw the Texas route against Chicago in week one. I don't care what it is. If you want to have him out wide and run those quick little bubble screens out to him, however you need to do it, by all means, do it. I'm to the point where, heck, if you need to get him the ball in a freaking wildcat, like at some point, if you need to put him in his kick return, I don't care at this point. That guy needs to touch the ball before the game is 24 to three. So that, again, we've gone over this stuff before as well, but this is not a situation where they can continue to live with the differential and running game being minus 180, whatever it is. Like that's insane. And there's a couple things that we need to talk about here because when you talk about difference in the running game, it comes down to a variety of different things. The first one is physicality in the trenches. You look at the difference in physicality between these two teams, it's like extremely noticeable. But even above and beyond that, take the Lions out of this. Take their offensive line and defensive line out of this. Look at Green Bay's offensive line and defensive line. On the offensive line, we'll start there, offensive line. Who, who do you want to run behind? If you need to get two yards, where, where do you want to run? There's not a single offensive lineman that played in this game that is a mauling physical offensive lineman. That is how this team is built. There, there is not a level of physicality and butt kicking in the trenches that you see from this team. They don't have those type of players. We'll talk about that in just a moment. On the defensive line and on the defensive front, we can include edge rusher in this. Right now, who are your ass kickers on that defensive front? Kenny Clark. All right. TJ Slayton is a solid run defender. He's not he's not the intimidator, but he's a solid run defender. It's not Colby Wooden. It's not Carl Brooks. It's not Devontae Wyatt. It's not Justin Hollins. It's not Kingsley Nigbari. Rashawn Gary at times can be that guy, but he wants to get after the quarterback. If we're being totally real, he wants those sacks. He wants those big tackles for losses. He's not the biggest, most physical dominating, you know, player when it comes to run defense. Preston Smith, mostly okay against the run, but at this stage of his career, he's not a big intimidator, if you will. Like there's just not that guy. Quay Walker's flying around, but he's not the, I'm going to blow up the fullback and go make the play sort of guy. And certainly Isaiah McDuffie is not that. So like, you just don't have those type of players in, in, you know, in the trenches. So that, that becomes a bit of a problem for just like sort of a team building standpoint. You know, you also have, uh, let's talk about run defense for a moment. I posted this play on Twitter. It is second and goal from the two yard line. And this is, this is a perfect microcosm of just how this team needs to be better from a just overall concept standpoint and just what they're putting out on the field. It is second and goal from the Packers two-yard line. And the Lions, are, Lions have the ball. They come out in 11 personnel. 
They come out in 11 personnel with two yards to go before the end zone. They're on the Packers two yard line. I want to say that one more time. Two yards to go. Second and two. Second and goal from the two. And they come out 11 personnel. And what does Green Bay do? They come out in nickel defense because it's 11 personnel. They want to match up corner on corner, two safeties, two linebackers, two edge rushers, two defensive linemen. That is their nickel personnel that they use against 11 personnel. 11 personnel for those unfamiliar, one running back, one tight end, three wide receivers. So it makes sense. They're in 11, you come out in nickel. That is normally what you do. However, they're at the two yard line. They have five offensive linemen and a tight end lined up tight. They're also, their wide receivers and stuff are kind of coming into, and it's more of like a tight condensed formation. But even besides that, you got five offensive linemen and a tight end on the line, two yards to go. I'll say it one more time. And you've got two defensive linemen, two edge rushers that are there to hold up against those six players. You've got your two you know, off-ball linebackers and Keyshawn Nixon that are kind of creeping in. You got your safeties a little bit closer to the box, but at the main point of attack, right in the middle, you've got two defensive linemen, which is really tough because they can start double teaming and doing some things. And then you've got those two edge rushers. So that probably in and of itself, when they are in more of a goal line situation, probably not ideal. At minimum, I'm probably taking one of my linebackers out and putting on an extra defensive lineman, something. I just need a little bit more beef up front where they're not going to be able to move me quite as easily. That's the first issue. But let's just take that to the side for a moment. Let's say you do want to go nickel in that situation. And I'll say it one more time. I understand the desire to go nickel there because you have three wide receivers out on the field and a running back. So your normal situation is to go nickel. Okay, so you're going to go nickel. You have to have different packages within your packages. What I mean by that is if you're going to go nickel there, you need to go more of a heavy nickel package. You can't just go light nickel because they're going to run it right down your freaking throat, which by the way, spoiler alert is exactly what they did. They ran it. It was the easiest two yard touchdown you will ever see in your life because Green Bay stood no chance to stop that running play. When Matt LaFleur talks at the post-game press conference of making sure that they're putting players in a position to be successful, that ain't it. That is absolutely not it. But I, I'll go back. I want to I want to take one more step back. If you do want to do it, you want to go that heavy, maybe more of a heavy nickel, but more importantly, more importantly, you have to make sure that you have your most physically imposing front players on the field to make sure that you can hold up against because you're underside, you're undermanned. You've got two defensive linemen, two edge rushers to go up against their five offensive linemen and a tight end. You don't have the like the ability to just kind of put whomever out there. And here's the bigger issue. Those front four on that play, Kingsley and Igbari, one of your worst run defenders at edge, probably your worst run defender at edge is in Igbari. He's in, in a goal line nickel package with two yards to go. Carl Brooks, he's more of your nickel personnel guy. That is not the guy you want in your goal line situations. It just plain as day is not especially if they're going again, spreading you or like 11 personnel and you're on the two yard line. They've got TJ Slayton in there, which is fine. That's one of the guys you definitely want in there. And then the other one's Justin Hollins, probably the next, you know, worst edge rusher from a run defense standpoint. So you, you kind of have your worst run defending defensive lineman in Carl Brooks. You could argue Colby Wooden as well. One of the two, 
probably your worst edge defender in, in Igbari, and you're probably your second worst run defender in Justin Hollins. No Rashawn Gary, no Preston Smith, no LVN, no Kenny Clark, no Devontae Wyatt. What? What are you doing? You cannot have at the same time them be on your two-yard line. You go two defensive linemen, two edge rushers, be completely undermanned, and have your worst run defense personnel on the field. Now, if you want to be complete devil's advocate, you could say they're an 11 personnel. We have to have three corners on the field. And you could say, we would love to have had TJ Slayton, Kenny Clark, Preston Smith, Rashawn Gary, some version of that out on the field. But our defense had been on the field the entirety of the game. And those guys were tired and couldn't be out there. First of all, I don't care. They need to be out there. Tired or not, I will take tired Kenny Clark, tired LVN, tired Preston Smith, tired big physical defender over the guys that you put out there in that situation. The other thing is you at minimum, then you need to supplement it. Get a safety out of there and put a put another you know defensive lineman in. Get a linebacker out, put another defensive lineman in. If you want to match up with those corners on wide receivers, by all means, fine. If you need three corners out there, fine. But then you still have to stack the box and make sure that you can be stout at the point of attack. You simply cannot just let them run for a free two yards for a touchdown, which is basically what you're doing when you line up in a nickel package that has Carl Brooks, you know, Justin Hollins, and Kingsley and Igbari on that front. You have no chance. You have no chance with Quay Walker and Isaiah McDuffie and Keyshawn Nixon as your next line, who, by the way, are a more of a speed linebacker, an undersized linebacker in McDuffie, and a undersized 5'10 corner. You're just going to get beat off the line over and over. So we can talk about, you know, you need to be more physical and players need to make plays. That is a perfect situation of you are in no situation to be successful. It is a easy handoff to Montgomery. He could have, you know, I... We, we joke all the time of like, could you gain two yards in the NFL? You could have gained two yards in the NFL and scored a touchdown on that run. So that's where we're at. Now, the offensive line for Green Bay on the flip side got smacked in this game. And we'll talk about Bakhtiari later. No Elton Jenkins. Zach Tom does play. You could tell he wasn't 100%. But Royce Newman got smacked. Josh Myers didn't play well. John Runyon Jr. didn't play great. Rasheed Walker didn't play great. Zach Tom didn't look by himself. But that offensive line got the crap beat out of it for an entire game, pretty much. So you want to talk about the difference in running games and just the overall physicality? That's all there. But I think the bigger overarching question and where some of these longer term concerns want to come in, and you don't want to jump too much to any crazy conclusions after a bad loss or even just four games on the season. But you have to start asking, like, what do you want this team to be? Because from a roster building standpoint, this is more of a finesse offensive line and a finesse offense and a finesse defensive line and a finesse defense. That's who this team is. And I've said before, I'll say it again, it's tough to have your cake and eat it too. It's tough to find players who are both extremely physical and you know dominant against the run and quick enough and fast enough to play the passing game, whatever, you know, however you want to define it. Or on the offensive side, have guys that are dominant run blockers and are awesome at pass protection. We would all love those players that can do everything. There's just not very many of them out there. And if you have a few, you're paying them a ton of money because they are so rare. You can only get so many. But you have to figure out what it is that you want to be as a team because 
this sort of finesse version of the Packers that you have on offense and defense isn't going to cut it against the Atlanta Falcons where they're just going to run it down your throat. Against the Lions, against the 49ers, against these more physical teams in the playoffs that Green Bay has come up against in years past and they just couldn't cut it. So what I would like to see is physicality in the trenches, bigger, stronger in the trenches, offensive line, defensive line, edge you know, position players, and a little bit more of the, the assholes. Let's just put it that way. I need some assholes on the offense and defensive line. And then on the speed outside, your playmaker positions, your corners and things like that, that's where you can have a little bit more of the speed and the finesse, you know, the playmaking positions. But this team sometimes has it backwards. You've got the power guy in AJ Dillon at running back and you've got finesse guys on the offensive line. That's not doing anything for you. You've got more of a physical cover. And I love Razul Douglas. He's he's a really good player. But you know, you've got kind of on the like Rudy Fords and the um Razul Douglases that are more the physical type of players. I'm kind of okay with more, you know, speedy athletic players on the outside, but I need those big physical players on the inside in the trenches. Sometimes it feels like this team sort of has it backwards. And if you are going to be a finesse team, if you are going to be more of the speed team, you want to catch teams off guard, it is even more important that from a coaching standpoint and a scheme standpoint, you even have better attention to detail. And it doesn't seem like Green Bay has that. They're not hitting their landmarks. They're not getting to their spots. The technique is all sloppy. The pad level's bad. All of it's just, ugh. That can't be the case if you are going to try to be a more finesse team along the offense and defensive lines. You have to have everything be picture perfect, and it's not even close to that. It is ugly. So this team right now, from a roster building, scheme, you know, physicality, all of it standpoint, attention to detail, it's just not blending together. And that is, I think, more of your long-term concern. Can you get by against some lesser teams, your Chicago's? Can you pull a pull one over at home against the Saints when they were up 17 and maybe let their foot off the pedal a little bit? Maybe, yeah, probably. But are you going to be able to compete with some of the best of the best teams? No. And yes, it's early. This is a young team. They have the opportunity to get better. But I do think it's fair to start questioning some of these things about development, process, scheme, attention to detail, roster building. What type of team do you want to put on the field in Green Bay, Wisconsin at Lambeau Field? Because right now, it's not a physical enough team on either side of the ball to hang with some of these teams that are like the Detroit Lions, who are now 4-0 in their last four games against Green Bay. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. 
Need to hire? You need Indeed. So you guys really need to make Little Caesars, which is the official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your game day routine. Pizza is the ultimate game day food. There is no question about it. If there's one thing that rivals my love for the Green Bay Packers and my love of football, it's my love of pizza. And right now you can actually order online during their pizza pizza pregame. It's one hour before NFL games and you can get ready for football, fun, choose your favorite Little Caesars pizza, pick the toppings that you crave. Me, this is going to sound weird. I know because you know uh, my pickiness with food. I love mushroom and onion. That is my absolute favorite pizza. I know it's probably not everyone else's. And of course, you know you love my food takes, but I love mushroom and onion pizza. I love it from Little Caesars. Either way, you win. And speaking of winning, everyone's going to score with convenient delivery. They also have their in-store pizza portal. So you can pick up, you can grab some friends, enjoy a few slices during the tastiest hour before kickoff. Trust me, you're going to love it. And, And if I have to recommend one thing for sure, have to get the crazy bread. The crazy bread is an absolute must. Enjoy it. Enjoy your game day and enjoy it more with Little Caesars. Fellas, are you running into some stubble trouble? Are you dreaming of that clean shaven look, but hate going through the hassle of a wet shave every other day? I know you are. That's why we've partnered with Manscaped. The brand for below the waist is coming to save that beautiful face. Yes, sir. Manscaped now has beard products and is going a step further with the launch of their brand new handyman electric face shaver. It's designed to give your face that smooth and chiseled finish without the mess of a traditional shave. Make sure to join the 9 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Head over to manscaped.com and use code PACKADAY for 20% off and free shipping. You may have noticed my recently cleanly shaved face over on the YouTube channel and that perfect shave was brought to you by Manscaped's Handyman. The best part is I was able to get the exact shave I wanted without any of the usual mess of traditional shavers. I've also used their signature Beard Hedger, which is a juggernaut of fixing faces. You can trim your beard to 20 different lengths all in one guard, so using this thing is amazing and basically it's perfect. No matter what tool you use, you can't go wrong with Manscaped's line of products. Right now, you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code PACKADAY at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using code PACKADAY. That's P-A-C-K-A-D-A-Y, no hyphens. Hit that refresh button with the handyman. It's finally football season, which means it's also finally daily fantasy football season. And while I get excited to play daily fantasy every year around this time, I'm even more excited this year because I'll be using prize picks for all my daily fantasy selections. Prize picks is really simple to play. You can make picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. Even better, they offer ultra quick withdrawals to make all your transactions super fast and easy. Also keep an eye out for weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts. My favorite, Taco Tuesday. Each Tuesday, prize picks discount select player projections up to 25% to provide even more value. Before football season ramps up, I've been using prize picks for my MLB and college football picks as I prep for a season of winning in daily fantasy football. The experience has been amazing and it's increased my daily enjoyment of watching Brewers and Badger games. Now, it's time to get some Jordan Love entries in prior to this weekend's game. The great thing for me is that they offer Apple Pay, which makes depositing money into my account so incredibly easy. So what are you waiting for? Join me on Prize Picks by going to prizepickscom packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepickscom packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Some damning statistics in this one. At one point, the Lions had 27 points, and the Packers had 18 yards of offense. 27 points for Detroit, 18 total yards of offense for Green Bay at one point in this game. Their start of the offense for Green Bay in this one, 
Three plays zero yards field goal on the turnover from Rudy Ford. Three plays negative 11 yards punt. Three plays seven yards punt. One plays zero yards interception. Three plays three yards punt. 13 plays negative one yard. Three points credited to the defense for the Rudy Ford interception. Brutal, brutal stuff from the offense. At the two-minute warning of the first half, kudos to Rob Domofsky for tweeting this one out. At the two-minute warning of the first half, Lions had 268 yards. The Packers had 15. Lions had 14 first downs. The Packers had one, which was due to penalty. Passer rating, Goff was 86.1. Jared, uh, Jordan Love, sorry, not Jared Love. That'd be a combination of the two. Jordan Love, 8.8. They just got their butts kicked like completely. And and again, they came back a little bit in the second half, but far too little, far too late. Jordan Love in this one, 23 of 36, 246 yards, one touchdown, two picks, five sacks taken for 43 yards, two carries, negative two yards, and a touchdown. Did have a two-point conversion throw and a missed two-point conversion run. Up and down sort of again from Jordan, just inconsistent. Didn't do much to help his team early, but he was under pressure and duress through the entirety of the first half. He never gained a level of comfortability, tried to make some plays. He missed a a throw here or there. Let's talk about the first interception. First interception is a play that they have run with Rodgers and Love over and over and over. It's just that little quick play action. You get the linebackers to suck up. It creates this little void in the defense. The wide receiver comes on a skinny post or kind of like a slant-ish type play gets open and you just, you're basically faking the handoff. And by the time you get your head around, it's almost like a trust throw. You just know it's going to be there. One thing when you don't run the football as well, linebackers, a little bit more cognizant of just dropping back in passing lanes and not honoring that play action quite as much because you can't run the ball anyway. In this play, usually what you see is those linebackers get sucked so far up that they're not even in the screen to be able to potentially make a play. So Love pops up, gets his head up. He's used to that just being wide open. And instead, Anzalone backs up into that zone, tips the ball, safety makes a nice interception on it. Could there have been an opportunity for Jordan to see that there was a linebacker there and have vision on it and not make that throw? Probably. At the same token, like that, again, that's one that's almost like just drilled into you where you're faking the handoff. You're not even looking at the defense. And then it's just a quick look and rip. It's, it happens so fast and it just that there's never a linebacker there in that gap. So it's tough to anticipate that, but nice job by the Lions for having it scouted and Anzalone for getting his hands up in the passing lane and the safety for making a nice reactionary interception. But that's a little bit of a hang with them. Couple, like I said, inaccurate throws. The second interception is just a, it's a mistiming and they did a great job, both Jordan Love and, and Matt LaFleur of basically explaining it, but you have so how the offense works is you have your initial route and then once the play breaks down you have sort of your secondary off script route that you know where you're going to go and start going off script and they they plan that stuff they go over it ad nauseum like they go over it over and over and over on how to run that stuff so what happens is Jordan is seeing Romeo on his initial route and assuming that he's going to continue that initial route because he's kind of got vision on him and he throws that initial route and then, of course, it was intercepted. What Romeo has seen is Romeo seeing Jordan start to move within the pocket and start to sort of scramble and ad lib. So he's starting, he, he doesn't think Jordan's going to throw it to him on the initial route because Jordan's starting to roll out and buy time. So he starts his secondary ad lib route where he's going to the corner, which was 
if, if that's what he is, he's going to come wide open in the corner of the end zone for a potential touchdown. But Jordan, he's thinking he's not starting the ad lib process yet and is just going to his first read. Romeo seeing Love start rolling out and being like, oh, he's starting to improvise. I need to start taking this route somewhere else. And it's just, a, you know, that's going to happen. That's sometimes the cost of doing business in the NFL, but just one that they'll have to kind of work on together. So not a great day from Jordan. I think everyone would probably agree with that. Some things you can take away that are positives, but we'll have to kind of take a look at it a little bit more on the All-22 when that comes out. But overall, kind of some of the inconsistencies that we've seen through the first few weeks of the season, probably at a, a greater level in this one. I had some quick offensive notes. Uh, let's see. Let's talk about the game plan really quick, because I know a lot of people frustrated and are like, man, Matt LaFleur's play calling to start the game was awful. And I will say there's some things like the, the option plays, like they're just not working. So let's scrap that and not use it on a two point conversion when you really, really need a two point conversion. There's some stuff there from more often than not. When you say like all the play calling was really bad. It just the plays didn't work. And you could argue that that's play calling to some extent, but the plays that he called are workable plays. You just have to go out and execute them. I would argue more often in this one, they just couldn't execute in a large part due to the offensive line play. So it's easy just to say, well, he called bad plays. Well, in hindsight, sure. But like you, you're calling plays to beat the defense. More often than not, like he knows what the defense is trying to like accomplish. And you have different concepts within the play that can accomplish like probably help you no matter what defense is called, but they just didn't execute. And to me, that's a bigger issue. And we go back to the running game of like, oh, they just didn't establish the run. I don't think there's a world in which they ever really established the run well against Detroit. So they were trying to just find those mismatches and they just never really got them. And Detroit played a great game on defense. I don't know that it was necessarily a horrible game plan on offense or horrible play calling. It was horrible execution is what I would say. I thought Romeo Dobbs had a nice game. Uh, you know, overall he got open. There were a couple of plays where, you know, love couldn't get it to him either, but I thought he had a nice game. Offensive line had an extremely rough day at the office, pretty much all left through right, like all five of them. And then Samori Toure had that awesome catch down the sideline. It was late in the game, mostly, you know, didn't really, you know, amount to much or whatever, but, um, you know, you know, probably too little too late is probably a better way to put it, but really, really nice catch along the sideline by Samori Toure. From a defensive side of things, started off pretty well. They actually started pretty physical and like six of the first seven plays on defense were really good, including the Rudy Ford interception. They had a couple of really nice run stops. They allowed one run for like nine yards, but six of the first seven plays on defense were really good. And then all of a sudden you had the Razul Douglas third down throw to Laporta where Douglas couldn't bat it away and Laporta gets upfield. And then they just picked on Razul. And I don't know if you saw this, I think it was Ryan Wood tweeted it after the game, but the Lions saw something with Razul. So it was a it was just kind of a story of two tape studies. Razul had done the tape study for years of watching the Lions and what they do in the red zone. And they know that they run this shallow concept to Amon Ross St. Brown. And he they know that they do that every single time. Well, the issue is, is they did it against Green Bay last year. I, th- I think it was last year. Well, I, it had to have been last year against Razul. And Razul jumped it last year and broke it up. And the Lions noticed that on tape and remembered it, that they knew if they gave Razul a similar play, knowing that he's a tape watcher and what he did in the in the previous matchup, that if they gave him the same look, Razul was going to bite and come up on it and Amon Ra would be able to swing around and go to the back of the end zone and potentially get a touchdown. And that's exactly what happened. So 
Razul does his homework, knows that Amon Ra St. Brown runs that quick shallow route every single time in the red zone, jumps it, but he jumped it last year and the Lions knew it and saw it, got a nice, easy touchdown. That's great coaching. That's the stuff that you have to pick up on, but sort of an interesting game within the game there. Uh, so yeah, they did attack Razul a little bit. I thought the offense did the defense no favors, just being on the field the entirety of that first half almost. A couple of players who had, I thought, solid days at first glance. I thought Carl Brooks, he had a pass defended, he had a sack, a couple other plays. So I thought he just at first glance had a pretty nice day. Quay Walker had like a billion tackles and was flying around the football. The special teams play not as great, but on defense, I thought he was at least flying around a little bit. And then Rashawn Gary had a couple moments as well as a pass rusher, but not a lot of third and longs for this defense through the course of the day. On special teams, you had the Nixon returns that didn't go anywhere and that were taken out deep from within the end zone. You had the fumbled punt return by Jaden Reed that they were lucky to get back. You had the Quay Walker penalty, which was basically the final dagger in the game. You had the holding penalty on the return. Just some really bad stuff. Now, Anders Carlson and Daniel Whalen both really been impressive through four weeks so far. So there's a positive takeaway there. Outside of that, the special teams has been really disappointing through four games this year. You're starting to feel like it has been sort of the same issues, like we talked about with everything else so far, the same issues that we've seen in previous years, which is massively, massively frustrating. So miscellaneous stuff. First of all, Carrington Valentine. I thought Valentine, it was just an interesting, he started the game and then he came out and they put in uh, Corey Valentine. And I just assumed like, all right, well, Valentine aggravated his bicep injury or just couldn't go. But they use Valentine on special teams throughout the entirety of the game. He never left with a new injury or anything like that. So it's interesting that they just flat out subbed out Carrington Valentine and put out Corey Valentine, or Corey Valentine in his place. And also in dime, put Jonathan Owens in. So that was really interesting to me that it, it kind of just looked like Valentine got benched. I went when I was rewatching the game, I watched him. There's nothing super egregious from Valentine. So that's a bit of an interesting one. And then that was probably the most opposing fans I've ever seen at Lambeau Field. Lions fans were in abundance at Lambeau. And this this is a Milwaukee ticket holder game. And yeah, it's probably tough on a Thursday night to come from Milwaukee and then go all the way home after the game and all those sort of things. You know who it wasn't tough on, apparently? People who came from all over from Detroit side of things and showed up at Lambeau. So frustrating to see so many opposing fans, especially when you've got a season ticket holder list that's a billion people long that would love to go to a Packer game, to see that stadium filled with as much blue as it was. Like I said, that was the most opposing fans I've ever seen at Lambeau. So kudos to the Lions fans for showing up, but brutal from a Packer fan standpoint that that many people sold their tickets to Lions fans and that there was that much blue in that stadium. As far as we know, only one new injury. That was Luke Musgrave. He left with a concussion and did not come back. However, we did get word early in the day on David Bakhtiari that he had a scope earlier this week and is said to have another surgery that per Ian Rappaport is going to knock him out the remainder of this season. And they are looking to potentially be ready for 2024. That opens up a whole nother can of worms. That's a nightmare, but looks like David Bakhtiari probably not going to play again this year. A brutal, brutal update on Bach. You're just hoping that he was going to be able to come back and play through it. That was ended up not being the case. Looked really good against Chicago out the past three games and now is going to be out, uh, looks like the remainder of this year. Matt LaFleur would not confirm that, said he didn't want to talk about it again, which I think is crappy because as I've said before, it's one thing if this was the status quo, 
meaning, you know, there was just a week to week and everyone just asked about it every single week. He literally had a new scope done and is on IR. So it's a fair question to ask about and whatever. But uh, yeah, inactives on the day were Malik Heath, um, Zane Anderson, Elton Jenkins, Jair Alexander, Anthony Johnson Jr., Brenton Cox, and Devondre Campbell. So those are your inactives. Jair not able to go to the due to the injury. He was questionable going in. All the other questionables were able to play. We knew about Jenkins, Devondre, and uh, Zane Anderson ahead of time. We also knew Bakhtiari would be out. Malik Heath, Brenton Cox, and Anthony Johnson Jr. Your only healthy scratches. Heath made sense. Wicks wasn't getting down. You know, moving down with Watson coming back. Your decision, you were only going to go with five wide receivers. So your decision was Toure or Heath and Toure probably a little bit more of a special teams asset there. Next game is Raiders on Monday night football. Green Bay will have one game in their next 23 days. That should allow them a lot more rest and hopefully some coaching time to get back to fundamentals a little bit. This team could desperately use it. So hopefully they use it well over the next 23 days with only that one Monday night football game in there. That pretty much does it. Uh, a disappointing performance to say the least. We knew there'd be days like this, but it doesn't make it any easier to digest. And I think the really tough thing is you're seeing a lot of the same mistakes that this team has had over the past, especially with, you know, in the Matt LaFleur era. Do I think it's going to be better than what it has been these past majority of the past two weeks? I do. I think a lot of players can play a lot better than what they have. And I think we're going to see that moving forward. I do think this time off will serve Green Bay well, and hopefully they can come out against the Raiders on Monday Night Football, pick up a win, move to 3-2 and two going into their bye week. Their schedule's not too tough the remainder of the way, but they need to play a much better brand of football. I think they will. But this is a tough one to watch, tough one to re-watch the tape of. We'll watch the All-22 tomorrow and break down all of that. But yeah, other than that, disappointing to say the least, but one of those days. And uh, I do think this team will be young and resilient to bounce back from it and get better as time goes on. Shout out to all the All-Pro and Hall of Fame members here on the Packaday Podcast. Most Hated Minnesotan, PJ Wynn, John Wild, Shea Broaddad, Arnoldo Espinosa, Jennifer Wright, Boom Handle, and Donald Lee. Appreciate you guys a ton. If you haven't checked out Packaday memberships yet, make sure to do so. Otherwise, make sure to subscribe. Give that review five stars on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you're, or Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening. That's going to do it for me today. 311. You're probably watching me on YouTube, seeing my eyes start drifting to sleep. I need to get some sleep. Going to break down the all 22 on Friday. Going to talk to Mike Wall on Friday. You're not going to want to miss those. But until next time, and as always, go Pack Go.